Hey y'all, this is Samira, your podcast cousin, and you're listening to the Adulthood Chronicles podcast. The show that explains how to navigate adulting for real for baby millennials and Gen Z. Hey y'all, and welcome back to another episode of Adulthood Chronicles. Y'all, before we get into the show, I honestly am so proud of myself with sticking through with this podcast. I have been really in my bag and I'm honestly surprised at myself for staying consistent as long as I have and it hasn't been a super long time like this is only the sixth episode but for me that's good because I am not the most consistent person like I am someone that really is like always changing and changing my mind about things I'm just a very indecisive person and so the fact that I've done this for the sixth week or maybe the fifth week, because I think I dropped two episodes in one week in the beginning. I'm just very happy. Um, And honestly, at this point, I was expecting zero listeners, like none. And I was so worried. I was like uh, watching YouTube videos and TikToks about starting a podcast and podcasters. And I ran into a video, I believe it was Kev on stage. And he was like, honestly, just start. Things do not have to be perfect. You don't need the perfect mic the perfect camera, the perfect setup, like use your iPhone, use your AirPods or whatever headphones you have and just get started. And I won't say I completely did that. I did buy a little equipment like my mic and things like that and some um, editing software and things like that. But I kind of just did it. And he was like, you have to do it and be content in the fact that for your first 50 episodes or 100 episodes, it might not be anybody listening, but you keep going. And that's what I have been doing. Um, I have had more than zero listeners. I think at this point I've had like 30 something across platforms, which isn't like amazing, but it's good to me because again, I thought five weeks in or five or six episodes in, nobody would be paying attention, but here I am. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going. Like I don't always post at the same time or the day that I'm supposed to like episodes are supposed to drop every Monday, but sometimes that's always not the case. But my philosophy is starting out as long as I get out one episode a week, then that's okay for me. Cause it's not like I have consistent listeners every single week anyway, but I hope to get to a point where I am very consistent as far as time I'm posting and day I'm posting. Uh, But until then, y'all going to just have to be happy with getting the podcast when you get it every week. But again, the goal is to have it um, every Monday. And, you know, I'm I'm working hard to get my schedule in a spot where I'm able to do that. So we can go ahead and get into the show, uh, specifically starting with the Black Business of the Week. Now, this Black Business, I'm very excited that I found um, because it's just such a cool brand. The business, business, excuse me, is called The Sip, and they are founded by two best friends named Erica and Catherine excuse me. Um, And they are two black women. And so the SIP essentially, I'll just read you what they have written on their website. The SIP is a Bev tech, meaning beverage technology, luxury brand changing the wine industry and the way sparkling wines are discovered. They offer an array of sparkling wines from around the world in a gift ready box, making it convenient, affordable, and fun to discover sparkling wine without breaking the bank. Their mission is to help everyone celebrate and elevate their everyday. 
um, and that is directly from their website. So essentially, the sip is a subscription box that includes sparkling wines, which I think is pretty damn cool. And it's black woman owned because you just don't really see too many black spaces, excuse me, black faces in the wine industry, um, especially black women. So I think that's really cool. And they also have like a community pledge with their business as well. So for every SIP purchase, they will give access to clean water for women and children in need through the East Oakland Community Project or the EOCP. So every single time that you do purchase from their brand, um, some proceeds do go to the East Oakland Community Project, where I think both of the the friends are from or the co-founders are from now as far as pricing for their boxes um they have a pricing box of 54.95 which is billed annually um and it's most popular and that is per box which comes out to $329.70 annually, or you can pay bi-monthly, which is $59.95 per box. So you'll be saving a little bit money if you pay a annual fee versus the bi-monthly fee for a box. Shipping is free for every single box, and the value is about $125 of wine gifts and a knowledge on sparkling wines every other month, so bi-monthly. Um, you can check them out at thesip.com, which is their website, and it's very beautiful, might I add. Uh, you can also find them on Instagram at the official SIP Society. And as always, I will include their information in the description box of this episode. So to get started in the main content of the show, I have been seeing lots and lots of talks on the internet about friendships and navigating friendships as an adult, which is a subject I'm a little passionate about. (laughs) Uh, Just because friendships as an adult are just, they're hard. All right. Um, I saw a study online that says making friends as an adult is harder than it seems. And there was a study in May of 2021 um, in an American perspective survey that found that many Americans don't have a large number of close friends. In fact, only 49%, excuse me, yeah, 49% report having three or fewer close friends, which honestly, I don't see as a bad thing. Like, I don't understand the need for like 10 friends or so, but some people, the more the merrier, but most people only have a few close friends. Um, another fact that was found in this same study is that when it comes to adult friendships, most Americans report having situational friendships. For example, uh, people make temporary friends in the workplace or at school, in the gym, or some other shared community. Um, in this survey, they found that nearly 70% of people reported having a friend that they only see in certain places or at certain times which I can relate to wholeheartedly. And I feel like it's my like biggest problem when it comes to friends, to be honest. There's a few reasons, in my opinion, why making friends and maintaining them in your um, adult life are just more difficult than when you're younger. For me, for example, I have moved, I've lived in three really 
three, I'll say three and a half states. Uh, I was in the military, the National Guard. So I had to be gone for basic training in AIT. So I lived in two different states during that time. And then I was think I was gone for like a total of year of a year or close to a year between those two. So I was born and raised in Minnesota. I moved to Florida for college. I was in the National Guard, so I had to go for basic training in AIT. I went to South Carolina for one for like a few months and then Missouri for another few months. So I think total my time between basic training and AIT in two different states was close to a year, like 10 months or something. And then now I live in Michigan in Detroit. And between all of those different places, it's hard to maintain friendships. Like I have the friend, I won't even call them friends. I have the people that I grew up with and went to middle and high school with that I used to consider close friends. And then I went on to college and I made close friends and then I left and, you know, things like that. And I think the difficult part for me is I found that other people that I considered friends didn't necessarily value our friendships the way that I valued. So even when I did live out of state and things like that from different friends, I found that uh, once I stopped reaching out first, there was no reaching out happening. Like I was the one who was, oh, hey, when I visit, you want to do this? Hey, when I, I was the only one putting in effort to maintain these friendships. And once I stopped, there was no more communication. And I just said, oh, well, and kind of wiped my hands clean from that. And I feel like that for me is the biggest reason why I like lack friends in adulthood. But it is something that I feel I can put a little bit more effort into is like reconnecting with people that were once close friends that even though we still don't live in the same state, um, we can still have a friendship and trying to figure out what our friendship looks like now that we don't live in the same states and now that we have our own lives being in our mid to late 20s, you know? Um, But other reasons for or why maintaining friendships can be a little bit more difficult in adulthood is one, people already have established social circles. Like something I found in, you know, moving to a new city and trying to make friends is that like, even if I would set up a, a friend date with a new potential friend, sometimes they would bring friends that they're already established with to our meeting without even telling me. And I'm like, I, for one, think that's a little rude because if I'm meeting you with the potential to become friends, I didn't ask for somebody else to be included and nor did you ask if I was okay with someone else to be included. Like it feels weird trying to make friends with an individual and they're like, really kind of also like sticking to their social circle, which is fine. You can have more than one friend, but it just makes it harder for a newcomer to come or break into an already existing social group. Also, like in your adult age, mid to late 20s, early 30s, people's priorities are changing. Like there's a lot happening in that time frame of life, like 25 to 32 everyone knowing no one is on the same page or doing the same thing you might have a friend who is on their PhD and they're not even close to getting married or having kids then you might have a friend who's a stay-at-home mom and they're like 28 and they stay at home all day with their kids and then it might be you and just trying to figure out like living in a big city and 
and climbing the corporate ladder. Like there's just so many social shifts that happen as an adult or being a young adult that makes people not prioritize friendships as much because they're more focused on their career or starting or building a family or just other personal responsibilities that might take precedence over um, socializing, like leaving them less time and energy to essentially make new friends. And that's kind of the same as like different life stages. Also, what makes friendships hard in adulthood is... I would say a lack of common activities, right? Usually when you meet friends when you're younger, you met them because you went to school with them, whether it's elementary, middle school, high school, college, or an extracurricular activity. As adults, I find that people are doing less of these activities where they can make friends. People are not doing hobbies as much any, anymore because most people are staying secluded indoors on their phones and things like that. So they're only getting connected through devices um so I think a good way to find friends is by finding some hobbies um that way you have shared interests and activities and um it's not as much effort to making friends I think making friends in like organic natural ways is probably the best way that goes for any relationship like dating I feel the same way too not that you can't find people on the apps because you can me and my man found each other on an app, but I feel it's there's a lot less barriers or challenges when you meet people uh, organically is all I'm saying. Um, also, I think there's just more limited social opportunities in adulthood. Oftentimes, like as adults, we have a much more structured and demanding schedule, which can essentially limit opportunities for us to meet new people like for me I have a nine to five job from 9 a.m to 5 p.m I'm at work the hours prior to that I'm getting ready for work the hours after that I usually am not looking to go out on a week weekday well hmm, kind of it just yeah but most people aren't like that most people when they're done with their job they're ready to go home lay on the couch and watch tv or they're taking care of their family or pursuing other responsibilities. So there's just a lot more, a lot less social opportunities for us to meet people. And it's even more amplified if you are an adult who does not drink or rarely drinks. Everything as an adult is centered around drinking, like damn near everything. People hang out and like, oh, you want to check out this brewery? No, hate beer. Oh, you want to check out this distillery? No, don't like vodka. Oh, you want to meet up at the bar? No, like you want to go grab food and drinks? I'll take the food, but not really the drinks. Like everything, not everything, but mostly everything, unless it's like an outdoor activity is around drinking. And that's really hard for people who don't like to drink or drink very little, to be honest. Another thing that gets me about... (laughs) trying to make friends in this in this era today's times is the friendships based on aesthetics oh my god I'm so tired of it honestly I don't know if this is a problem with men as well but for women I know so many women don't actually want friends they want to hang out with influencers Like, they want you to become an influencer so y'all can all be influencers together. Like, they want co-workers. 
influencer coworkers is what they want. They don't want the actual things that come with friendship. They want to get cute and go out to eat and take pictures and record videos of cute drinks. And that's it. And yeah, that's just not what I'm about personally. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm gonna definitely take a picture of my food or my drink because I like pretty things. I like random pictures of things that I do in life, but it doesn't, it's not specific for me to edit to make from my Instagram feed. And this isn't even bashing people who do that because like sis, make your money. I, that, I know that I'm fully aware that taking pictures of food and going to restaurants is a job now, but I don't want my whole entire friendship just to be based on that and I feel like a lot of again going back to like situational friendships that's what I feel like I have now a lot of the people that I hang out with or a lot of people that I would call friends now not to say there aren't my friends but they're very situational like oh this is just my bar friend oh this is just my friend who I hang out with outside of work like they're my coworker, but we only do happy hours after work, this is my friend that I only do this with. Like every friend has like a a designated pot that they belong in essentially. And I think everyone, not everyone, but a lot of women are kind of looking for friendships, how they see on TV, like girlfriends or Harlem, like any, any show on TV about womanhood or friendships, it's always a group of four And they've always generally have met in college, went to college together and kind of navigating life from that. You see it in Insecure, you see it on Girlfriends, you see it on Harlem, you see it in Run the World. Like every single show centered around Black women friendships is a four-person group that met in college. And not to say that's unrealistic because it's not, but... I came to realize that friendships don't need to look like what they look like on TV. Like your friend circle can be just three of y'all. Your friend circle can be 10 of y'all. Like it does not have to be this group where everybody knows each other and everybody is cool from college. Like it can look different than what we see on TV. Also, something I've realized is that like anything in life, friendships really take effort like just as much effort that you would put in a relationship with your partner boyfriend girlfriend husband wife them they partner whatever you have to put in that same effort with your friendships if not more because you don't spend as much time with them and I just think people don't look at friendships the way that they look at romantic relationships which I think are kind of wrong. I don't think, um, I think this is generally more a problem with men than women because I feel like women, especially black women, really, really value sisterhood um, and the joys that like real true sisterhood can bring them. And a lot of people desire it, but again, it comes with effort. Like you're not going to get that without putting yourself out into the world. Um. And that's something I learned, like friends are not just going to come to me because I want friends. Like they're not, I'm not going to be able to just sit in the house and watch TV after work and be like, why aren't the friends coming? Like, no, that's not how it works. Like friends come naturally. 
by putting in effort as well. Like you have to put in effort. You have to go places, go places. You have to do things. You have to go outside. I mean, most of the time, yeah, you can join apps, but that's besides the point. I looked up some ways or activities to meet potential friends as an adult. I think this is a pretty good list. Um, but also the biggest thing to making friends is I feel like is just to be open, be open to growth in new things. All right. Um, so the first thing on the list is to join a gym. All right. Many gyms have like workout studios or group classes. Like if you really enjoy yoga, consider a yoga studio or a Pilates studio, like anything that interests you. Um, uh, if you're into basketball, a rec club or a rec volleyball club, anything like that. Like I have been saying since I lived in Detroit, I've been here a little over two years and I am just now starting to put myself out there when it comes to like really being a part of the community and really enjoying everything that this city has to offer. And that includes social activities. Like I stopped of like feeling bad for myself waiting to do things because I don't have a friend and just do things. And that's how you make friends or meet people. Like I went to the Beyonce concert by myself. I met people. I might go to a farmer's market by myself. You meet people. Like you just have to put yourself out there. Um, another activity for potential friends is signing up for a workshop or a class. Like I mentioned this, things, again, that you're interested in. Like find local clubs. If you live in a big city, say like LA, New York, Chicago, Miami, Houston, Atlanta, things like that. There's so many clubs and programs around. Like you can... Um, if you're thinking about roller skating, like you can find a roller skating club, you can find a cooking club. Like there's literally a club out there for everything, especially if you live in a big major metro. Um, also you can join things like meetup or Bumble BBF, BFF, or like some other platform, uh, to make friends. It's not saying this is the easiest way, um, but it can help. Like for some people, Bumble BFF, you you have no trouble meeting people or you've met your best friend on there and you guys have been friends ever since from the app. But some people, it's absolute miss. But that's like with any app. It's the same thing for dating apps. For some people, it's terrible. It's dumpster fire. And some people, they find the love of your life. So um, you can never be like mad at yourself for putting yourself out there, in my opinion. And also it helps getting over your fear of rejection. Like, okay, I feel like a lot of people simply don't put in the effort to getting to know people, whether it be romantic relationships or um, platonic friendships, just because they're scared of being rejected. But like, you're not gonna know until you try. Like whenever I needed something, I would be afraid to ask growing up. And my mom would be like, just ask. The worst they can say is no. And if they say no, what's going to happen? Nothing. You're still going to be in the same situation. Or you can ask and they say yes. They want to be friends or they want to hang out or whatever the case may be. And there you have it. Good to go. Uh, you can also volunteer with a local nonprofit. One, this is a great uh, way to help out your community um, but it's also a really good way to meet people like for example you can volunteer at your local humane society um, and that way you'll find people that you know are at least interested in animals you can bond over pets do you both have pets you can go on dog walks together whatever um, but volunteering can also be good for your mental health as well um, 
Another way to meet friends is maybe finding a church or spiritual service if that is for you. A lot of lots of people really do turn to faith or religion to kind of help give them a sense of community. Um, obviously, this is dependent on your personal belief system, but it, it's definitely a good option to consider. Um, and you can really create meaningful friendships through finding some sort of spiritual community if that is what you're into. Um, you can also join a book club. There's, I haven't joined a book club personally, but I've honestly been considering starting one since I've kind of been, uh, back into reading a little bit. Um, you can have them through your library or local bookstores, but it's a great way to get together, um, and really help find your, your footing in a social circle. Really any of these things really scratch that. The point of any of these things is just to go outside. <laughs> like you cannot make friends without going outside. You have to do things. You have to talk to people. And it just is what it is. All right. That is all for the main content of the show. But I will say uh, our next segment in wellness wisdom is also going to be kind of related to friendships. Um and really just talking about the importance of community and really just social wellness and how it can affect your overall health. All right. So social health can just be described as connections and relationships um, measured by how we interact with others in the world, essentially. So it can include maintaining healthy relationships, um, the time you enjoy being with other people, developing friendships and intimate relationships, caring about others and letting others care about you, and contributing to society and your community. I don't know if y'all know this, but there are lots of health effects, like serious health effects that loneliness and social isolation can cause or worsen, especially as we age. And as time goes by, especially since the pandemic and lockdown, people are even less connected as time goes by. Like we have all these connectivity apps and things on our phone, but no one's actually connected in real life. It's all just by phone. And it's given us like a, almost a fake sense of reality, I would say, because yeah, the people on social media are real, but they're not real, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, there's real people behind them, but you can be anything you want on the internet. So that's what I mean by they're not real. And that can have a a really um, broad effect on your mental health. So some of the health effects that can happen um, just from being lonely or isolated include... Depression, anxiety, and suicide. So those who deem themselves as lonely or are more lonely than others can have a higher rate of depression, anxiety, and suicide. I talked about this in another episode. I can't remember which one. Um, I think I, I talked about just overall well-being and health. But suicide rates are sky high especially amongst black men they're continuously growing black and brown men they're they're getting higher and higher anxiety rates are getting higher and higher especially amongst young people especially 
social anxiety, which is something personally I don't even understand, but I'm not saying it doesn't exist, especially as a person that used to be very, 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 very shy as a kid. I'm talking like I didn't talk to anybody unless you were very close and it was we only would talk like in private. Like I would only show my true personality in private. Like I didn't have this big personality that I have now. Um, and then also depression, like these mental health crises keep climbing and climbing and climbing. Um, loneliness is also associated with higher rates, higher rates, excuse me, of heart disease, heart failure, and stroke. I don't know how, <laughs> but it can. Like, have you ever heard of broken heart syndrome? Essentially, you can literally die from having your heart broken from all the stress of a breakup puts on your heart. You can have a heart attack and die. Uh, loneliness can have the same effects. Um, it's also associated with higher rates of dementia as well as premature death. So loneliness has also been associated with death at the same levels of those smoking 15 cigarettes a day, which is crazy. 15 cigarettes a day is equivalent to loneliness, like the death rate. I think that's insane. And I think where everyone, especially in America, is just so, so divided, we would be much better off if we were a more of a collective society or collective community like some other countries are. Um, there was a national survey by Cigna in 2018 that stated that loneliness levels had reached an all-time high. And that was in 2018. So imagine now in 2023, especially after pandemic. Um, and at that time, nearly half of U.S. adults reported they sometimes or always feel lonely. And 40% reporting they sometimes or always feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they feel isolated. I guess my question is, again, like how do we as a collective society solve these issues? Like what is the solution as a whole? Like not on an individual level, but again, as a whole, like how do we get people in America to act as a community to, to actually feel like we need one another to live? Because we do, like we cannot do everything on our own. We cannot survive not talking to anyone. I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, really old movie, also very popular movie. I watched it in like a psychology class in high school. We were talking about um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And one of those needs in which Maslow thought we needed to survive is essentially social socialization. And in Castaway, Tom Hanks, he there's like a plane accident and he's stuck on a deserted island for years and years and years. So imagine that he's by himself with no one to talk to. Well, off comes on the shore is a volleyball, a Wilson volleyball, who he called Wilson, and it became his friend. Um, and he put a little face on it, and that's who he talked to, that's who he communicated with, everything. Because if he went years and years and years and years and years without talking to anyone, it would literally drive him insane. There was even the, the famous scene where he's screaming, Wilson! 
Wilson because Wilson gets into the ocean and it starts floating away and he's literally like swimming for his life in the ocean to retrieve this volleyball back but at that time the volleyball was his best friend and his only person he had in the world and without it it's a good chance that he could probably go crazy same concept of how like um if somebody's in jail and they get the uh what's it called the cell where like you're you're isolated the I forgot what it's called. I can't think. But essentially when they put you in the cell and it's pitch black and you're by yourself. And sometimes in prisons, they can do that for like months. The whole, the whole, that's what prisons call it. The whole same concept. People literally go crazy because there's no one in there to talk to, socialize with, communicate with and things like that. So isolation has huge, huge, huge effects on our mental health. And I think because we so we are so isolated currently in our society that is why people have all these mental health problems um because they're lonely that's why people are more suicidal that's why people are more depressed that's why people have social anxiety because they just have such deep fear that talking to people like literally just talking to people what i'm doing in this mic will will give them this ultimate rejection, will make them feel so shitty, will make them look stupid. Like they're, they just have so much worry in their brains. It, it's insane. Um, but if you are having or experiencing any of these problems, I would obviously definitely recommend seeing a professional, like a psychiatrist or a therapist to really try to talk to talk through these things and try to get some tools that can help you um have a better life with uh the loneliness you may be experiencing and how to make changes in your life to get out of that um I won't I won't say like I feel lonely very often it could be because uh, I was raised as an only child and only grandchild for like 25 years so uh, I was pretty used to being alone anyway Um, So being alone doesn't bother me, but being alone and being lonely are two different things. You can have many people around you and feel lonely because you don't feel like you're getting any meaning from these people around you. Uh, But my biggest advice, again, I'm not a professional. If you are having deep problems with this, try seeking a professional. Um, But just, just put yourself out there, like in any way that can be and I won't even say in any way that makes you feel comfortable because putting yourself out there can be completely uncomfortable like even doing this podcast sometimes feels very uncomfortable and unnatural to me but whether it's starting to talk to people on live on camera uh, over a podcast um really in person like you have to take steps to get better to not feel lonely you have to put in effort no matter what the problem is, like everything in life has to start with effort, getting better, resolving trauma, things like that. It all requires effort and changes on your part. Um, that's all I have for wellness wisdom. I really hope that y'all took a lot from this conversation just based on on friendships and and the effects that loneliness and individualism can kind of have on us and I'm not saying being individual is bad at all because obviously self-preservation comes first but 
we are really much better as a society together than we are apart. So keep that in mind and uh, do what you can to make positive changes in your life. All right. On to the very last segment, money matters. I got to get some like transition sounds or something to transition from like the main content to the wellness content to the money matters. And I also don't even have a name for the main content of the show. Like I have a name for every other segment. I have the black business of the week. Then I'm like, oh, let's just get into the main content of the show. And then I have wellness wisdom and money matters. But like y'all, I need help coming up with some sort of name for the actual content like the meat of the the episodes but I'll try to do that at some other time um but yeah let's hop into money matters so for this segment today we're talking about student loans (laughs) nothing that any of us want to discuss um but if you guys didn't know the student loan pause ended Today, well, not today when this episode drops, which is August the 2nd, but today as in Sunday, October 1st, when I am recording. So if you didn't know, interest stopped, or excuse me, interest began accruing again in September, um, but payments aren't required to be made until this month. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean your payments are due today, October 1st, or tomorrow, October 2nd, when this episode is dropped. It means sometime in October, your payments are going to be due. And I'm specifically talking about federal student loans. I'm not talking anything about private student loans that you may have taken out with the bank, the your local credit union, or anything like that. Like, this is specific for federal student loans. So, um, just go to your loan servicer, whoever that may be, like Advantage or I think the other one's called Mohilo or Mahila or something like that, Sally Mae, whatever. Um, and you should have some sort of correspondence that'll tell you of the due date of your student loans. Now, there is a note, a new program that has has been implemented. Oh my goodness, I cannot talk. That has been implemented Um, which is temporary, called the on-ramp grace period. So essentially what that means is even though payments are going to be due starting this month, you will have um, a protection, I would say, over the next year until September 2024. Um, Really, it's to protect financially vulnerable borrowers from the ramifications of uh, making late payments. So within this year from currently now, October to September, 2024, even if you do not make payments or you make payments late or something like that, it is not going to be reported to your credit report. They cannot default or really have any, um, financial ramifications that would come with not paying your student loans on time or the minimum. The thing with that is, which is great, but interest will still accrue. So, you know, so technically you can not pay until September 2024 um, and not go into default or not have your wages garnished or something like that because this program is protecting you. Um, But again, interest will still accrue on the loans. Um, But there won't be any ramifications that could otherwise hurt your credit score. 
My recommendation, though, is to either, um, well, one, the original way that the student loan servicers break out your loans is in a payment plan over the next 10 years to pay it off. So however many months 10 years is divided by your balance is what your payment is going to be. So for me, I owe $40,000 just about. And so for me, I think they were trying to make my payment like $432 and some change or something like that. 400 something dollars and some change. And the plan was to pay that off, pay that over 10 years and my loans will be paid off. But there are options if you cannot afford the payment method or the payment amount that they provided for you. So you can apply for the IDR or the Income Driven Repayment Plan. Essentially, what the Department of Education does, you input your uh, gross income. Um, They ask your family size, I believe, and like if you have any dependents, and they will uh, calculate your payment based on your income. So if you're a high income earner, this might not be the best for you. But if you are low income and maybe even have a dependent or so, um, it could really, really lower your payments. For me, I think when I did this, it lowered my payments to like a hundred, just about a hundred dollars, like a hundred and one dollars and some change. Um, they also have the save program, which is a little different than the IDR. Um, so let me look into this really fast. So the save plan is the newest income driven plan. Um, the save plan does calculate your monthly payment amount based on your income and your family size. Um, and they provide the lowest monthly payment for any IDR plan available to nearly all student loan borrowers. So essentially, they decrease your monthly payments by increasing the income exemption from 150% to 225% of the poverty line. So essentially, if you make so much money, you're not they're not able to um like charge you over so much for your monthly loan amount. So for an example, if you are single borrower earning $32,800 or less or family four earning $67,500 or less, you probably won't have to pay nothing. So depending on what your adjusted gross income is depends on the amount. It just depends how much your income is um like as it relates to the poverty uh, level for your specific state. I think it's the same for 48 states and the only difference is maybe are Hawaii and Alaska or something like that. Um, You'll just have to apply online. This SAVE program, it used to be called the Repay program, which is R-E-P-A-Y-E, but it's now considered the pay program. Excuse me. Um, like for example, on this chart I'm looking at, they have estimated monthly payments under the save plan. So, for instance, as a family size of one, just yourself, and you make forty k, your payment would only be sixty dollars. Fifty k, one hundred forty three dollars. Sixty k, two hundred twenty seven dollars. Um, so again, you could really save more money on the save plan rather than the regular income driven repayment plan. Um, If 
one of those payments is still too much. So say you get approved for the IDR or uh, save or some other program within your loan servicer and it's still too much, you do have a few other options. So you can apply for a deferment. And a deferment is um, when you can temporarily stop making payments. So that's what, well, really we were in it forbearance. Um, but it, with the loan deferment, you can tempor temporarily stop making payments. And I believe they have two, a couple of reasons why you can defer. So one, they have a hardship deferral, which most likely you would have to apply for if the um, other payment plans are too much for you. They do ask a few questions like about if you've received assistance in the last year and things like that. So I think if you have not, you may not be eligible, but I'm not 100% sure. I just know when I applied for um, a hardship deferral that I was denied based off the questions that they asked me. Um, and in that case, I had to apply for a forbearance. With a loan forbearance, you can stop making payments or reduce your monthly payments for up to 12 months. But keep in mind, because loan interest accrue um, while your loan is in deferment or forbearance, you still may want to explore other payment options. Like for me, since I didn't qualify for the hardship deferment, I end up having to apply for a forbearance. And for me, the reason I'm doing that is I'm not ready to pay my student loans simply because right now I am looking to purchase a house and save for a house. So that will obviously take away the money that I can put towards that. And so I'm trying to postpone it until after I purchase my house, which will open up more income for me because my mortgage would be cheaper than my rent. And so they did approve my forbearance. Um, with the forbearance, all you have to do is put in how long you would like your loans to be forbeared. For me, I think I put in like six months or something uh, to start paying back in March. Um, and also, just so you know, with some of the income-driven repayment plans, you can have your payments as low as $0, and I'm pretty sure that still counts towards the months if you do the PSLF program, which is like if you work in a civil service job, say like for the government, or you're a um, teacher in a low-income school and things like that with 20 months or I don't know, however many months of payments, they will forgive your loan balance regardless what their balance is. So say if the entire time your amounts, uh, your monthly amount was only $0 and you never paid anything over however many months, after that your loans will be forgiven. That still counts towards the BSLF program. So as it pertains to student loans, one, for all the servicers, you can find all of your repayment options online and apply for them online, which is what I recommend. I have called my loan servicer, which is Advantage, um, I think twice in like the last week or last two weeks. And I will say they were helpful for me and they pointed me in the right direction, like the the workers um, were very like understanding because I know they're probably swamped with calls right now. Um, there was a long wait time. So depending on when you call, I'm sure because a lot of people are calling because student loans are um, not paused anymore. But I'm I'm pretty sure I was on hold like 30, 40 minutes each time. But, you know, I kind of just put the phone on speaker and and just worked until somebody answered. So it wasn't that big of a deal for me. Um, so you can expect pretty long wait times if you call. That's why I recommend going online.
pretty much any question that you have, you really don't need to talk to a person about. Most of the information you can find on the Federal Student Aid website at federal, excuse me, at studentaid.gov, or you can just log into whatever your service website is and um, get all your information there. So your repayment options, your total amount of loans, how much you owe total, auto pay, and things like that. I don't know for how it is for other services, but for aid of Advantage specifically, which who ha- who has my loans, I know that if you set up auto pay, they will lower the interest on your loans. I don't know the exact amount, but um, just setting up auto pay will lower, will keep your interest down a little bit, which is always helpful. Um, also, if you're someone looking to pay off your loans, I see like on a lot of different forums, like on Reddit or Facebook groups um, that I'm in like a financial group in, people are always like, oh, I have, I make this much money, say for example, like $2,000 and my expenses are, are $1,900. I'm trying to take, I'm trying to pay off my loans as fast as possible. What should I do? Like, I'm sorry, you have a income problem. Like, if you are trying to pay your loans off as fast as possible, you can't be worrying about, I mean, not to say don't worry about your expenses, obviously try to get your expenses down as low as possible, but the problem is income. Like the answer is more income. I don't know what magic wand people are looking for when it comes to paying the student loans off or paying them off fast. Student loans are probably one of the only loans that does not get wiped out alt if you file for bankruptcy um so that would not help either like student loans is one thing that you will owe till you die if you do not pay them and uncle sam will get his money somehow if you choose not to pay so if you don't pay or if you don't do programs or if you don't pay at least the minimum even if your minimum is $30 if you're not paying that $30 every month like your loans can and will go into default. And I'm saying this as someone who worked at a collection agency that collected debt for the Department of Education. My entire job was to get people out of default so they can do what they wanted to do. When you're in default for student loans, you are not able to get a home mortgage. You have to pay that off. Whenever you owe the government money, you have to pay that before you can do things like get a mortgage or things like that. They're not going to let you, your lender's not going to let you get a mortgage or go through with the underwriting when you owe the government. It's the same if you owe the IRS or something like that. You can't do that. So whenever you go into default, the government can and will take your money via either wage garnishment, because I used to do it, or if you get a social security income, so if you're an old person, they can take from your social security check. Um, even if you don't owe, but your partner owes and you guys are married and file taxes together, they will take any refund checks from the IRS when you file taxes. So keep that in mind because I keep seeing a lot, a lot, a lot of people saying like, oh, they loans is between between God and Joe or whatever. Like they're, they're not thinking about those loans, but it does have ramifications. So at least pay the bare minimum and try to get the bare minimum as low as possible is my suggestion. At least, at least like me personally, I'm trying to pay mine off. I don't want to have debt personally. I don't want that weighing on me. And I borrowed the money and I knew what I was doing when I borrowed the money. All right. I knew what I was doing, taking out extra than I needed because I was paying my rent with it 
or getting food with my refund checks or getting a laptop for school. So I wasn't tricked or fooled. No one forced me to do it. So I personally am going to do what I can to pay off my loans. Not saying you have to do that, but it is a suggestion to do what you can, at least the minimum, so you're not putting yourself in a poor, poor financial uh, circumstance, I should say. Um, again, when it comes to student loans, go to your student loan servicer website for the most accurate information um, or studentaid.gov. Not, oh, I heard from a friend or somebody told me I seen somewhere, unless it's directly from studentaid.gov or directly from your servicer or directly a correspondence from the White House. None of that matter what you've seen or what you heard. You need to go by true facts. So if you don't know, again, look on your servicer website under your account or studentaid.gov or simply calling the loan servicer who owns your loans. And if you don't know who has your loans, you also can go to studentaid.gov, create an account, and it will tell you what company is the owner of your loans because it may not match up what's on your credit report necessarily. And speaking of credit, just because your student loans are off your credit report or something is not on your credit report does not mean you do not owe them still. Because I see a lot, a lot of people paying um, like credit gurus and things like that to wipe off their student loans. I'm saying that in quotations, wipe out their student loans, which is not true. Just because they somehow got it off your credit report does not mean you no longer owe just because it says zero on your credit report for your loans doesn't mean you actually owe zero. It could be transitioning you from one servicer to another. So again, for the most accurate information, always contact your student loan servicer and they will be able to tell you what's what. All right. Uh, that's all I have for the show, y'all. I feel like this was a really a really good episode. I really enjoyed recording it personally. Um, but as always, I hope y'all enjoyed this week's episode. Please share our podcast, excuse me, not our, share my podcast with your friends and family. Um, I would love for y'all to leave a review or two or three or four and rate it. I think that's a thing. Do all that you can to give me positive vibes on my podcast is all I'm saying. Um, as always, I hope y'all enjoy and y'all will hear from me next week. Bye.